Welcome to this week's sermon from Amblecote Community Church. Thank you. Good morning. It's good to see you all and be here again. Um, I wonder if you have ever been around someone who is drunk. I imagine all of you have. Um, What do you notice about the effects, um, how it affects them? Well, it usually affects the way they act, the way they behave with others. It affects their decision-making, and it usually affects what they think is important or not important, as often is the case. (laughs) Um, They are different because of the drink. Um, And that's what we're going to be focusing on um, this morning, but not the alcoholic spirit, but the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Um, We are going to be looking at how God's Spirit inside us changes the way that we behave and how we treat other people and how it affects the way we think about life and what's important. So let's read our passage today. We're actually finishing our Galatians series today. Um, So it's Galatians 6 verses 1 to 18. So if you'd like to get your Bibles or your phones, um, it's Galatians 6, 1 to 18. I think it will be on the screen as well. So... Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. I'm actually going to pause there um, because the sections are pretty dense, so we're going to take it just a bit at a time. Um, But it seems here as though Paul has made um, just a load of fairly random, unconnected statements. Um, But it's not actually quite as random as it appears. Um, The cornerstone of these verses is actually found in verse 2. If you look at verse 2, where Paul says, we are to be people who bear one another's burdens. We are to be people who bear one another's burdens. He's essentially saying that if we are people who walk in the Spirit, we will care for others when they are struggling, and we will help to bear their burdens, whatever that is that is burdening them. And when we do this, we do what Jesus calls us to, or as Paul puts it, we fulfill the law of Christ. And before we get to uh, the other verses, let's just take a moment to consider Um, what it means to bear one another burdens. What might that look like? Uh, There are so many ways we could actually think about this. Um, But I thought I would share with you something that moved me um, in a book that I read uh, last year. The book is A Tale of Two Cities. Um, You might have read it. It's by Charles Dickens. Um, It was actually my dad's favorite book, uh, for for those that knew my dad. Um, Other than the Bible, he would always clarify. (laughs) Um, But it's a book about a doctor who is wrongfully imprisoned in France just before the French Revolution. Um, And he's in the famous Bastille prison. Um, in terrible conditions, and he spends uh, many, many years there. Um, And when he is finally released, he goes to live with his daughter, his adult daughter. um, But he still suffers from the traumas that he faced in prison, and he often has flashbacks, and um, he has times where he thinks that he's back in his prison cell, 
Um, and when he has these episodes, he, um, he paces back and forth in his room, uh, reliving his life in prison. And, um, and there's this lovely bit where his daughter, uh, hearing him pacing the floor upstairs, um, she goes up to be with him. And uh, she doesn't try to convince him that he isn't in prison or that it's in his mind. Um, instead, she goes and she walks with him. Uh, through the night. And the servant who is telling the story, um, she says, in silence, they go walking up and down together, walking up and down together, till her love and company have brought him to himself again. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> um, and I think it's such a beautiful image of bearing one another's burdens, um, that we walk alongside another person in their pain, and their suffering in the hope that our love and our company might be of help to them. What form that love and company takes, uh, I think, is as, as broad as people's needs are broad. Um, we must look at the needs of each situation and discern what is going to express our love and company the most. Uh, perhaps that's sitting with a friend as they grieve. Maybe it's cooking a meal. Maybe it's fixing a car, giving someone a lift helping a friend financially or praying with them. Um, perhaps it's listening to someone without spouting our opinion. That's always hard, isn't it? Um, it's in all these ways and so many more. Um, so walking in the Spirit means we must bear one another's burdens. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes into a really specific example um, of how we might bear burdens for other Christians. In verse 1, he says... If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And uh, this might seem like a strange example of burden bearing. Um, it's not much like the examples that I've given. Um, but as followers of Jesus, we will all face times um, where one or the other of us sins. And part of loving others well will be reminding one another to walk in the way of Jesus, pointing them back to him and restoring them, that is part of bearing others' burdens. Instead of pretending the sin is not happening or maybe gossiping about it, uh, actually loving someone enough that you are willing to get involved um, to help them in their struggle against sin. Um, but I imagine, I imagine that what you're sitting there is thinking is, uh, oh yeah, I've been on the receiving end of well-meaning Christians pointing out my sin, <laughs> and it's been anything but loving. <laughs> I'm sure we've all had that experience. Um, perhaps your experience has felt a bit more like being condemned in your sin. <laughs> um, and Paul gets it, you know, he gets it. Uh, and that's why he actually spends most of the rest of this section um, talking not about the person in the sin, but all the pitfalls that the rest of us who try to help might actually fall into. Um, so let's take a look at some of the pitfalls that Paul thinks Christians might fall into trying to help. So there are four. Um, the first one is to do it in gentleness. Uh, and this is more of a reverse pitfall. Uh, he's emphasizing gentleness because he knows that when someone confronts someone else, it's often anything but gentle, isn't it? Um, in fact, even the idea of it 
is probably making you feel uncomfortable, especially if you're a hedgehog. <laughs> uh, when it comes to confrontation, maybe it's making you feel uncomfortable. Um, but if gentleness is your main approach in the, in the confrontation process, then that changes everything about the interaction. Because gentleness communicates love rather than judgment. Um, so how do we grow in gentleness? How do we grow in gentleness as Christians? Well, gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. Um, it's not a personality trait. It's a fruit of the spirit. It's something that grows in us as we pursue Jesus. Um, and that's why Paul says that you who are spiritual should restore them. Because gentleness is a byproduct of spirit-led people. But you know... Uh, gentleness, it's also a direct result of humility. If you think of the people uh, in your head, if you think of the people that you consider gentle, um, I'll bet that you find them humble too. Uh, humility is having a modest or low view of oneself. It's a freedom from pride and arrogance. It's not thinking more of oneself than one should or thinking of oneself as better than others. When people are humble, they treat other people well because they understand something of their own unimportance, their own needs and deficiencies. And this leads them to treat others well. It leads them to treat others with gentleness because they know that they aren't any better. And uh, John Stott says something really interesting. He says um, that our behavior towards others is governed by our opinion of ourselves. Our behavior towards others is governed by our opinion of ourselves. So if you struggle with gentleness, perhaps take a good look at how you view yourself. Uh, it will almost definitely be connected. Um, and this leads us directly to the second pitfall in verse 1, um, where he says, Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Paul is basically saying that we must recognize that we are also sinners. We are also liable to temptation and as likely as the next person to fall into wrongdoing. In other words, be humble enough to recognize that you have the same weakness as the next person. So after gentleness, he encourages humility, which makes sense, doesn't it, given the link that we've just talked about. And uh, the third error that we might fall into... Um, is in verse 3, just after he says we should bear others' burdens. And this is where I think he actually begins to reference not just the specific example, um, uh, the, uh, but the pitfalls that we might fall into generally in our attitude to bearing others' burdens. He writes, If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Paul is calling out the error of thinking that we are someone particularly special. And therefore, above doing such lowly tasks as helping others with their burdens, he's saying no one is to think so much of themselves that they are unwilling to take part in the body of Christ in this way. All of us are called to help others in sharing burdens, all of us. It's not just the job of the pastor, um, or those people who are particularly pastoral. Anyone who walks in the Spirit, everyone who walks in the Spirit, is called to bear burdens. And the final pitfall is in verse 4. Um, 
And he says, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Comparison. Comparison. That's what he's getting at here. Comparison usually leads to two feelings, um, either inadequacy or pride. If we compare with those who we perceive we are doing better than, um, Oh, sorry. If we compare with those who we perceive are doing better than us, then we feel rubbish about our self-pride. And if we compare with those that we think we are doing better than, then we feel pride. Paul sees our temptations both ways. When you see someone sinning, um, it can be tempting to think, well, I might not be perfect, but at least I'm not doing that. Um, and thereby, uh, we seek some justification for ourselves in that comparison. But Paul is saying, uh, walking in the Spirit means looking at our own stuff before God, not using your neighbor to feel good about yourself. Test your own life and the things you do. God is not comparing you to the next, of the person next to you. On that last day, we will account for one person, and that is ourselves. And actually, this is something that Paul confirms in verse 5 when he says each is to carry his own load. Though it seems like a contradiction to say that we must bear one another's burdens and we must carry our own load, he is actually just trying to get at this point. That while we are to help one another in carrying burdens and struggles, we are still not responsible for them. We are still not responsible for them. We can aid others in carrying them, but they do not become our own. You know, if we think about the daughter in A Tale of Two Cities, when she's walking with her father, um, she does not think that she is in prison like he does. She is not living the same reality as he is. She doesn't carry that burden in the same way as him. And likewise, we are called to help, but we, are, we, we must not lose sight of the reality that each of us is ultimately responsible for only ourselves before God, for our behaviors, our attitudes, our actions. So to walk in the Spirit, we must be burden bearers. And if we are burden bearers, we must be gentle. And if we are gentle, we must have a humble view of ourselves. We must have a humble view of ourselves and take great care to not use others for our own pride. It's fairly clear then that walking in the Spirit will lead us to have to examine ourselves closely. And if you're not sure how to do that, well, maybe the first step for you is to take a look at how you treat others. And that should tell you something about yourself. And this leads us... Um, so, so, let's, so let's move on um, to, I think, I think it should come up in a minute, um, to verses 6 to 10. Um, where Paul begins to unpack not only how the Spirit affects us, but what we can do to actually live in the Spirit. So let's read verses 6 to 10. I think it's up. Um, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. 
So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So Paul's central point here is in verse 8, that we will reap what we sow. Or in other words, we will get back something of the same nature as what we put in. That's the main thrust of the paragraph. But just before this, in verse 6, he actually gives us a really specific example again, a bit like he did with um, the burden bearing. Uh, So let's briefly look at that, and then we'll get to his main point. So in verse 6, he says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. This may have some connection to the burden bearing we've just talked about, but it also seems likely that Paul um, actually thinks there's a sowing and reaping principle when it comes to those who teach the word of God to us, so our pastors and our leaders. Um, If they are sowing God's word into us and we are reaping the benefits, then it seems right that we, in turn, should sow all good things into them that they may reap. This sharing good things is largely financial uh, in our times in the sense that we pay church leaders a wage. Um, That's how we share our good things. But in the first century, um, disciples like Paul he would have depended pretty much solely upon the people he ministered to, to share their homes, their food, and their money with him, quite literally all their good things. So Paul is essentially saying, you know, the principle of sowing and reaping, it needs to operate in the church. It needs to operate in the church for the spread of the gospel. Um, But let's move on to Paul's main point in verse 7. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And this principle permeates our world, doesn't it? It permeates our world from the squirrel who sows nuts into the ground um, so that he will reap them in the winter to the farmer who plants seeds um, to get a good harvest the next year, uh, the thief who sows a life in crime and reaps a life in prison, <laughs> the builder who builds solid foundations to reap a solid house. It's everywhere in our world. Um, and this summer, I actually experienced my own sowing and reaping when I um, decided to save some money and paint our bathroom with uh, non bathroom paint. If you've ever done this, you'll understand (laughs) what's gone wrong. Uh, The paint absorbs the moisture in the bathroom and then it peels everywhere. (laughs) And uh, I spent a lot more money and a lot more time stripping the whole wall uh, back to plaster and repairing all the peeling paint that I'd done last year. Um, It was a real pain. Um, But uh, I reaped a bathroom disaster from sewing in poor paint. Um, And there's really no escape from this principle in the world or in God's kingdom. Um, Sometimes we can think that somehow that we won't really have to face the effects of our choices. Um, But Paul is saying, you know, God cannot be mocked in this regard. You can't just live however you want and think that somehow you are going to flourish, whether in this life or the next. We all face the consequences of our choices. We can't sow to the flesh and expect to reap a flourishing spiritual life. And the reason that Paul is talking here about sowing and reaping is that he wants us to understand how we end up with spirit-filled lives. How do we get to be spirit-filled people? He's just been going on about what that looks like, but how do we actually get there? Um, And I think the answer is in verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh 
will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. If we want to flourish in our spiritual lives, we must learn to sow the sorts of things that lead to flourishing. And, um, and it's worth saying here that um, when Paul says our reaping is eternal life, he isn't suddenly preaching that we can be saved by good works. Rather, he's meaning that we reap fullness of life and spiritual well-being when we sow to the Spirit. It's not a reaping of salvation. That's really important that we recognize that. Paul has said many times that salvation can't be reaped, but is only given. Um, Paul is making it clear that abundant life doesn't just happen. <laughs> we don't wake up one day and find that we are spiritually thriving um, you know, if you think about someone that you think is spirit-filled, and if you could look at each hour and day, at each day and hour and minute they spend, then you will quickly discover that their spiritual well-being is not a coincidence. It's carefully curated. It's sown in the small, everyday decisions. Um, Samuel Smiles, he, um, he was a political reformer in the early 1900s, and he said this little quip, and you, you might have heard it because it's, it's well known. Um, he says, sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. And I think this is such a helpful breakdown of the principle of sowing and reaping, as it really shows how it works in real time. Um, the destiny, as he puts it, is in a chain of cause and effects from the, from the tiny seeds of initial actions and thoughts. So often we have to go back to the small things of our everyday lives, our day-to-day -day thoughts and decisions, if we want to affect change in what we are reaping spiritually but what we choose in these moments these everyday minor decisions are the deciders of whether we spiritually flourish and grow or not so what are the seeds that you are sowing in your life what do you spend your time doing are you spending time in your day doing things that sow to the spirit do you take time to walk with Jesus, reading his word, talking with him, taking time out to be with him? Are you choosing things that will help you to flourish? What do you spend your time thinking about? The news, social media, a book? Maybe, maybe that's just me. <laughs> um, the next big decision you have to make, uh, your clothes, what you're going to eat. Um, and it's not that I'm saying these things are wrong. It's unavoidable to think about life stuff. It's unavoidable. But there are times when I know that the thoughts um, of my day-to-day -day life have consumed my thoughts of Jesus. They've consumed them. And he's just slipped to the back of a really long list of other things that I've got to think about and do. I wonder if you find that. I hope it's not just me. <laughs> um, and it can be a bit of a loop, can't it? Because what I spend my time uh, doing, I spend my time thinking about. And what I spend my time thinking about, I actually end up doing. <laughs> um, so examining both our thinking habits and our behavior habits um, 
are both important things that we can do if we want to reap a spirit-filled life. Look to what seeds you are sowing. Um, but perhaps as I've been saying all this, you're thinking, so, uh, so right, so we've got to bear others' burdens, we've got to be gentle, we've got to be humble, we've got to sow rightly. And then in verse 10, Paul says, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Perhaps you're thinking, it all seems like quite a lot, and I'm fairly tired in life already. And, uh, and yeah, I really get that. I really get that. I, you know, I sometimes say to my husband, Tim, that um, I think if I wasn't a Christian, actually life would be a lot easier in some ways. Um, you know, the, the call of Jesus isn't to a super easy existence. But Paul, he isn't ignorant of this. Um, you know, he isn't ignorant of this. If you look at verse 9, he says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. He knows that the big threat uh, to all of this is growing tired and giving up. But he's saying, you know, don't. <laughs> don't do that. Um, for there's going to come a time when we will reap all the good that we have put in, it's not wasted. It's not wasted. One day Jesus will say to you and I, well done, good and faithful servant. And we will be rewarded for all the good that we have done. You know, whenever we feel like giving up, we must remind ourselves that it's worth it. It's really, really worth it. Um, so let's turn our attention to the final verses. Um, I'm going to cover these really briefly, um, as Paul is mostly summarizing things that he's already said in the letter. Um, so let's start in verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor circumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. So verses 11 to 13, Paul is again emphasizing that the external things, circumcision or any other tick boxes, do not justify us before God. There's no way of earning God's love, his acceptance or his salvation. I'm not, going, I'm not, I'm not actually going to spend any time on this as it was covered really thoroughly in earlier talks. If you want more details, go back to earlier talks on this. Um, but I want to pretty much jump straight to verse 14, um, where Paul is talking about only boasting in the cross of our Lord Jesus, by which he says, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
And to illustrate um, what Paul is saying, I want to talk about Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> um, I'm sure most of you have seen Toy Story. Maybe you're one of those parents that have seen it too many times. <laughs> um, but there's a toy called Buzz, and um, he is given as a present to a little boy called Andy. And, uh, but he doesn't actually realize that he's a toy. <laughs> Um, he thinks that he's a space ranger who can fly and who is on Earth for this special mission. And he's really boastful about who he is and what he can do. And um, as the film goes on, it dawns on him gradually that he is, in fact, none of those things, but he is actually just a toy, like the other toys. And uh, he falls into this despondency and despair. It's actually really funny if you've watched the film, but um, <laughs> he falls into despondency and despair, realizing that he has nothing special anymore to recommend him or to boast about. Um, but as the story moves on, um, he begins to find that his value, his worth, and his hope in life is actually in being loved by Andy in being loved by Andy, just as he is, just as he is, a toy. Um, and I think it's a bit like that. Um, Paul has come to a place where he knows that nothing that he could boast about counts anymore. It doesn't count anymore. In Philippians 3, Paul talks about all the things that could have made him stand out amongst his fellow Jews. In many regards, um, Paul was actually a really perfect Jew. He ticked all the boxes. Um, and Paul says, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in himself, I have more. He's saying, you know, I'm, I'm great. <laughs> he knows he could have been someone in the world's eyes. He knows he could be. Um, yet a few sentences later, he says that he counts whatever gain he had in the world as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. All that the world ha can offer has been crucified to Paul it doesn't matter to him anymore because he knows that the world has nothing in comparison to Jesus and all that Jesus won for him on the cross. The difference between um, Buzz and Paul, apart from the obvious differences, you know, um, <laughs> is that Buzz um, involuntarily loses his place in the world and finds something better. But Paul chooses to lose his place in the world because he has found something better. He chooses to lay, all, lay it all down, all the things that he could boast in. He chooses to die to the world and the world die to him. And even when this choosing leads to suffering, suffering it is still worth it for Paul. In verse 17, he says, um, it says that Paul bears on his body the marks of Jesus Paul was himself beaten and stoned. He had, um, he had the 39 lashes at least five times. Can you imagine that? Five times he had the 39 lashes. He suffered some of the similar wounds to Jesus. Um, but it is worth it for Paul because he is no longer operating with the old motivations and cares that he used to operate with. He is a new creation now. In verse 15, it says, he is a new creation. Jesus has filled him with his spirit. He is a new man with a new structure as to what's important. What matters to him now is living by the spirit, 
What matters to him is bearing people's burdens. What matters to him is being gentle, being humble, not boasting, doing good to others. What matters now is sowing well in this life so that he might reap fullness of life in Jesus. And you and I too, you know, we are new creations. We are now filled with the Spirit. And that reorders our values, it reorders our motivations, our desires, our hopes, our behavior. Um, And that will, you know, it will be hard in some ways. Uh, We will have a battle to keep Jesus at the center. I don't know if you find that, but I find it a battle to keep Jesus at the center every day. (laughs) But Paul writes this, that all who walk by this rule peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. It will require our whole life to be laid at the cross to walk in the Spirit. But we will be filled with peace and mercy as we do so. And we will certainly find that Jesus is of surpassing worth. He is of surpassing Worth and let us remind ourselves and each other <laughs> that He is of surpassing worth. When we struggle, when we're struggling to walk in the Spirit, He is of surpassing worth. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to this podcast from Amblecote Community Church. more information about who we are, what we believe, and how you can get involved, check out our website, 